0: Hey, good morning. This morning, uh, we're going to be in Ezekiel. Ezekiel. This is a new sermon series that I'm doing entitled uh, Ezekiel. Uh, We're taking a look at uh, God's heart for the world as he proclaimed his love for the world through this individual named Ezekiel. And so we're going to talk about a lot of his prophecy. But today specifically, I really want to get into the heart of who Ezekiel was. And and we learn a lot about who Ezekiel was through through his uh, calling. And so uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 is a detailed account of his calling, and it is full of amazing imagery, imagery that you're going to see all through the book of Ezekiel, all through his prophecies. Uh, Ezekiel sees some of the most amazing uh, of, of, of visions and dreams, and, and he does some of the most amazing things. And uh, if, you, if you're a young person today and you want to read some fun, good, wholesome, well, it's not super wholesome, but some good prophecy information, I mean, this is talking about uh, some true events that would take place. Uh, that God uh, speaks through his prophet. And so uh, we're going to take a look at that today. Let's begin uh, with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive uh, into this passage. Uh, Father, as we uh, gather together, uh, we lift up your holy name. We trust in your unfailing love. We trust in your justice, that you will bring everything to your righteousness, what you know is right and what is truly right and as we gather as your people our prayer this morning is that your word will speak boldly to our hearts that your holy spirit uh, will move in such a way that we can truly understand who you are and what you're trying to say to us we pray these things in jesus name amen not everyone here uh, but many maybe some of you here Know the name Dr. David Eubanks. Uh, He was the president of Johnson Bible College when I earned my bachelor's degree uh, back in 2002. He served at Johnson for 38 years. That means he was in this community in Knoxville for over 40 years because he was a professor before he became the president. And so he has a long history here in this city. He retired back in 2007. I've always had a great ad- admiration for Dr. Eubanks, and even so while I was in school. During my senior year, I remember I had a chance to interview him for a paper I was writing in class on spiritual disciplines. He was gracious to me, and allowed me to come to his office and just ask these questions for the paper. I assumed that the Dr. Eubanks spent at least eight hours in prayer and study every day, right? Someone as a rich in Bible knowledge, rich in, in prayer and, and the way he spoke, I just, I just believe that. But what I learned was that Dr. Eubanks was human. He was humble. He was honest. And he told me just like me, He struggles to find time at times. He struggled to be consistent at times. He strived to know God more and wasn't content with his efforts of becoming more spiritually disciplined. I learned that he was just like me. And when you read the Bible and you see some of these big names, when you see Abraham, When you see King David who wrote all these Psalms, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, Ezekiel, you have to think to yourself, were these guys and gals in the Bible human beings? Like, were they real? Did they have real feelings? Did they have real struggles? Did they ask real questions? Or were they superheroes, right? So today we're going to discuss the humanity of Ezekiel. You see, he's one of, the most, one of the major prophets of the Bible, a huge voice for Israel while they were held in captivity by the Babylonians. But the, the book of Ezekiel starts out with the details of his life, his amazing experience, and how he was called by God. And so we have to start with this truth. Ezekiel was just like us. He was a human being. He was a sinner. He had a normal job. He had a wife. Most likely, he had kids. Venture with me as we learn more about Ezekiel. Let's start in verse 1. It says, In my thirteenth year, in the fourth month of the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. And I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. Because we have to really key in on this fact. Go ahead. That's fine, Dirk. Ezekiel, he was an exile. And you can write this down if you'd like. It'll help you follow along with this sermon. Ezekiel was in exile. See, the Babylonians had already destroyed most of Judah. At the time that Ezekiel was taken from Jerusalem, Jerusalem was basically the only city left. And Babylon came and laid, laid, uh, what was it called, siege, right? Surrounded the city, so no food No water could come in and out of that city, and he did that for three months. And at the end of the siege, they raided the city, they took this King Jehoiachin, they took the noblemen, they took the workers back to Babylon. And Ezekiel and his family were among those who were taken in that first raid on Jerusalem. The psalmist captured the hearts of the people of Israel, who when they were singing these kind of songs, I imagine for five years, sitting by that river, Ezekiel singing this song, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept. When we remembered Zion, Zion is another word for Jerusalem, right? There on the poplars we hung our harps, he says, for there are captors, They asked us to sing our songs. They said, sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. Sing us one of those songs of Zion. But we cried. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? This is more than likely a song that Ezekiel would sing often. How can I sing a song of Zion while sitting in a foreign land. Every Thursday, Cornerstone has an opportunity to partner with the Lonsdale United Methodist Church, and they run a food pantry out of that. I know a lot of you can't do it. It's right in the middle of the day when we're at work, uh, but I try to be there uh, to try to help every, every time I can. Uh, my kids have gotten a chance to go down there, and they've had a, had a good old time. But our main job with the partnership is to carry food. We carry food to their cars. Sometimes we carry food to their house. And if you are free, by the way, if you're free on a third Thursday at one o'clock, you can come and join us. We just serve food for about two hours. There's close to 100 people that come through this thing. Well, last week, I came early to help set up. I had a, I had a, a doctor's appointment that I needed to get to. And so I came early just to set up. I wasn't there to to, to hand food to people, but I was there just setting up tables. We got done early, right? And uh, they were like, well, let's go ahead and send the crowd through. Here's the problem, folks. That part of Lonsdale speaks primarily Spanish. And I have a high school equivalency of Spanish. And I am the only one there at that point, the interpreters hadn't got there yet. I'm the only one there with a high school equivalency of Spanish. It's pretty awful. I got out my phone, and I Googled, how do you say, <laughs> how do you say please fill out this form in Spanish? And then I like blurted it out every time a, a Hispanic would walk in. I would blurt this out and hope they, they caught a little bit about that. There was this one lady, Bless her heart. She heard me say that. She understood, and then assumed that I spoke Spanish. <laughs> it was bad. I was just like, "Donde está el baño?" Where's the bath? I don't know. That's all I know. That's what I learned in Spanish. But I just imagine this woman, right? I, I imagine this woman so helpless and so lost as we were trying to speak to another. I imagine how frustrated both of us were how desperate even could you imagine being taken out of your home your native language that you speak with one another most of us here are english except for madeline right <laughs> oh i'm sorry i see you sitting over there we all speak english right being taken out of our home into a new land now they had a common language they could speak greek was pretty normal then but like good night oh no greek wasn't normal then by then but still the language difference the culture difference everything had to have been incredibly difficult in that day and i imagine ezekiel and his family having a similar desperation as they sat by the banks of the kabar river now look at verse 3. He says, The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was upon him. You see, Ezekiel was not only in exile, but Ezekiel was also a priest. The priest's job until then <laughs> was to take care of the temple, Right? Their job was to take care of the temple. And he had a job taking care of the temple until that was violently brought to an end. You see, Nebuchadnezzar came in and took everything valuable out of that temple. Everything sacred came out of that temple, and he took it to his house. Ezekiel's career ended right then and there. Praise God, he was allowed to live, or we wouldn't be talking about his legacy today. In the late 1800s, a portion of a tablet was excavated by archaeologists that lists out the rations the king gave to King Jehoiachin and his sons and some of the exiles. So they were able to read that back in the late 1800s, they were able to dig that out of the earth. So here he is in captivity. He had a job. And in taking care of the temple, people took care of you. You always had food to eat. There was always leftover from when you would do the sacrifice. People took care of you. Now he's got no skills. All he can do is slaughter a bull, right? All he can do is say some prayers, right? And here he is completely taken from him. As we read more in Ezekiel, we'll find that Ezekiel loved the temple. He loved his job. And here's the cool thing for those who are history buffs. As you read more in Ezekiel, you'll find that he's got this deep love for the temple, right? His father was Boozy, or Buzzy, or however you want to pronounce it. And Boozy himself was probably one of the priests that discovered the book of the law when uh, the king, his name was Josiah, rededicated the temple worship in Judah, years before corruption would re-enter the scene. His dad was probably part of that huge celebration. He was probably one of the priests that got to plan that huge celebration at the temple when they found that book of the law, when they reread the book of the law. And here they are now. Where are you going to sacrifice animals? Where are you going to sing your songs of praise? Where are you going to light incense? There is no temple to go to on the banks of the Kabar. Think with me for a moment, about the hopelessness and the desperation of Ezekiel in the exile. They have been uprooted. They're in captivity. His life and his ministry was centered around the sacrifices and worship in the temple, and now there's no temple, and who knows what's to follow. And they have been in captivity for five years before he hears the voice of the Lord. That is a long time to sit And wait. That is a long time to weep and wail. I'm pretty sure after year two, when they start saying, Hey, sing those songs of Zion, I'm saying, Nope, I'm out. Kill me now. Five years. That's a long time to be hopeless. But let's take a line out of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 40 and verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings of eagles. They will run. They will not be weary. They shall walk, and they will not be faint. And that is what took place here on the banks of the Kabar. Five years later, God shows up and gives Ezekiel this grand prophecy. We're going to read just the beginning part of the prophecy. It's pretty in-depth. And you can get lost in some of the imagery, but try to picture what Ezekiel saw that day. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning surrounded by brilliant light. In the center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire, there looked what, what kind of looked like four living creatures. And appearance, their form was like a man, but each one of them had four faces and four wings, and their legs were straight. Their feet were like those of a calf, and they gleamed like burnished bronze. And under their wings, on the four sides, they had hands of a man. And all four of them had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead, and they did not turn. As they moved, what would follow now is just this really neat picture of fire and creatures. There's chariots, there's wheels, there's a throne, there's an army. And God appears to Ezekiel that day through his vision and he gives him a scroll to eat. Anyone imagine eating a scroll? Ezekiel said it tasted like honey, and he became a prophet that day. Ezekiel came face to face with God, became a light for a very dark and hopeless nation. He became a symbol of judgment and hope. He would confront sin, but also encourage the people to wait on the Lord. Ezekiel 16.2 says, Son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable Practices. Ezekiel 36, 36 says, Then the nations around you will remain, that remain, will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed. I've replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. In the middle of hopelessness, in the middle of desperation, In the middle of five years of waiting, God showed up in a big way and showed Ezekiel that he is still in charge. He showed Ezekiel that he is still God. He showed Ezekiel that he had an army that was bigger than he had ever seen. He had power beyond anything he had ever seen. You thought you saw power when they tried to burn the temple? Look at this glowing flame in the middle of a windstorm, Ezekiel, and you'll know that God is God. And Ezekiel that day became a symbol. When I was in high school, my best friend and I, we made this pact that we wanted to be more like Jesus. And as a symbolic reminder, we both carried these little metal crosses in our pocket every day, all the time. It was physical, it was symbolic to remind us to try to be more like Jesus Christ. Ezekiel became a physical and symbolic reminder to Judah to confront their sin and to give them hope. Let me give you an example In Ezekiel chapter 5, Ezekiel drew a crowd He said, come on. Come on with me. And as that crowd drew, imagine this. He had this long beard. And he took his long beard and he cut it. He had all this hair and he laid it down. And then he had hair like Doug Jones. Just long, white and flowing. And he shaved it. He laid it down. He took the, this large glop of hair, and he divided it in three parts. The first part he took inside of the city. Well, he didn't have a lighter. <laughs> I don't know. He burned it. He just burned it up. The second one, he sat on a table, and he took out a sword, and he cut it up. And the last one, the last bundle of hair, his own hair, he took outside, and he just threw up. In the sky, and the wind took it away. It was a phys- physical and symbolic reminder that God was in their midst. And there were going to be some people who were going to die of starvation. There were some people who would die by the sword. And there would be some people who would be scattered. But a reminder that God is still God, even to those who are, Scattered like the wind. It's weird. And he had a lot of other weird prophecies. Imagine experiencing that. Watching a crazy old man cut his beard, throw it up in the wind and to burn it, the smell, right? That's what he did he became a physical and symbolic example of what God was trying to communicate to the people. Whether he was laying on one side for 180 days or he was climbing underneath a a wall, he was a physical reminder to the Israelites that sin needs to be dealt with and that there is hope. You see, God could not leave his people without hope. After five years of sitting by that Kabar River, they needed hope. Ezekiel chapter 36, and we're going to examine this specific passage deeper later on in the sermon series. It gives them hope. It says, for I'm going to gather you I'm going to take you out of the nations. I'm going to gather you from all the countries, and I'm going to bring you back into your own land. But it didn't stop there. I'm going to sprinkle you with clean water, and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities. I will cleanse you from all of your idols. God used Ezekiel in his actions, and his physical body to give hope that he's going to make them all clean again. And if you've been here for a while, you know where we're going with that. Because that's exactly who Jesus was. Jesus was a physical reminder that there's hope. As he died upon the cross... It was a reminder that sin is real and sin is costly. But as he rose from the grave, as a reminder that God is still in charge and he has the ability to raise you from sin as well. Amen? And so as we eat the bread and as we drink the juice this morning, we need to be reminded of a real, physical, symbolic life that brings us life today. That is Jesus Christ, let's pray. God, I'm just so grateful that you showed up. You know, this world has always been full of sin. I've caused it, we've caused it, but you have brought us up out of that sin through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. You have given us the hope we so desperately need. And for that, we give you praise. We give you glory. We're thankful that you have sprinkled us with the blood of Jesus Christ that we might be made clean. So our prayer this morning is that uh, a prayer of thanksgiving and also a prayer that you will change our hearts you change our minds and that you'll transform our lives through the power of your risen Christ we pray in Jesus name amen